Hello and welcome to a very special bonus round of Retro Encounter, the RPG fan podcast that is not about current events, not about RPG music, and is about literally anything else. My name is Mike Solosi, I'm Monsoon on the Boards, and I'm your host for today, and I'm joined with two superb co-hosts from the RPG fan staff. First, Robert Fenner. Hello, Towns Towns Carmarty on the Boards. Glad to be here. And Peter Treisenberg. Hello there, I have Beery on the Boards. It's been a minute since I've talked to chatted with either of you guys, I think. It's so it's it's good to be podcasting again, guys. Yeah, it is fun. Absolutely. Right on. So anyway, it is the last week of December right now. People are traveling, making plans, celebrating various holidays. There's a, a lot going on, but the consistent part of it is that it is cold on the northern hemisphere. People are, you know, out in the snow, in away from the snow, uh like, don't remind me. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Poor Peter. Like you, uh, lives in Iowa, grew up in Michigan. You, uh, you dealt with plenty of I, snow over the years. I, I can't get, can't get away from it. <laughs> uh, my best friend was in Buffalo, New York for three years of, uh, of a graduate degree and visiting him was in, even in October wasn't great. But anyway, so there's a lot yeah. of snow all around us now. If you live, you know, north of the tropics. So, we wanted, I don't know I, about you guys. I just got soaked by the rain about 15 minutes ago. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> I had I spent over like 30 minutes chipping ice ice off of my car one day earlier this week because DC had freezing rain over the weekend. It was oh uh, nice. Yeah, so it was it was great. It was like a quarter inch thick just sheet over my entire Honda. It was great. Oh joy. So there's snow happening all around the world. And so we thought we'd talk about some wintry, snowy, icy RPGs, or at least the snowy, wintry, icy parts of RPGs. So, um, I guess to get the story kicking off, uh, winter RPG was a term thrown around a lot for a game that came out earlier this year that I think, Robert, you mentioned that you played. Uh, did you play I Am Setsuna? I have, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. (laughs) Anything else you want to say before I... No, Wait, no, I, I, I played it for, like, five minutes at E3 and thought it was pretty neat, but uh, I didn't, okay. but I uh, only got a very small slice of the game, so, uh, but I, I, did, I have not played it meaningfully yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I Am Setsuna, it's undoubtedly a very um, striking uh, game in terms of audiovisual presentation, uh, and I personally am a big fan of any snowy towns or areas in RPGs, so I was pretty thrilled to see that uh, a game coming out in 2016 from from Square Enix was, it, you know, entirely made up of snowy areas. So um, I've been trying to I've been trying to write something for a little while now, which is is delayed, but look for it in the future about um, my gripes with um, I Am Setsuna, and that's you know that it's too referential to the genre of RPGs rather than attempting something new. But um, I can't deny that um, its world is a pleasure to walk around and to listen to. It's got this, you know, I, I, one of the main draws of I Am Setsuna is its, uh, its piano solo soundtrack, which uh, it's very light and very solemn, and it has this very wintry, it, it really complements the wintry feel of the uh, snow fields and, um, towns of snow co- covered, uh, snow covered roofs and that sort of thing, but but you but you uh, felt a little let down. I should, I should like it. I don't okay. like it. 
Yeah, Setsuna was, was one of those weird cases where um, I, I beat it earlier uh, this and when it came out, and uh, it was one of those weird cases where it's it's I, I admire its dedication to visual cohesion. Yeah, uh, it's stylistically a really interesting game. I don't, but I don't think it. But in terms of like what it set out to do, um, um, being a if if by what it set out to do, it set out to be a traditional RPG that mimics Chrono Trigger. Yeah, okay, it's pretty all right at that. <laughs> but um, in terms of uh, uh, telling its own story and kind of giving it its own, like it it, it only succeeds on the audiovisual front. Uh, this, but it, it, it's it's a flawed project, but. A whole I'm hoping that that company, that Tokyo RPG Factory, will get to make another game and hopefully capitalize on some of that promise. But um, all right. So... Honestly, I thought I got kind of bored. I got kind of bored of the snow after a long enough time <laughs> playing Setsuna. I feel like almost every dungeon is like some variant on Ice Cave. Yeah, there's not very many variants on dungeons. That's for sure. This is Ice Cave and Ice Ruins or um, Snowy Forest, huh? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I guess that we're used to RPGs um, taking us through a variety of settings, and part of this podcast is going to be talking about our favorite snow or ice-themed ones. So uh, maybe if the entire RPG wears a a winter aesthetic, even if it wears it well, it can get a little boring, a little samey feeling. I don't know. I think there's something to be said for a game that takes place in, you know, an isolated corner of a world, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Like uh, something that's localized and feels a little bit smaller in scope and um, maybe personal. <laughs> and it is little, it is a little weird to like go you know, from one of the con- end of the continent to another, and suddenly it's volcanoes, temperate forests, beaches, <laughs> yeah. and glaciers, all in the yeah. same biome. Like I'm, I don't know about that. <laughs> Agreed. But 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 basically, the verdict on Setsuna is uh, maybe a little disappointing. But as a winter RPG, it's definitely a winter RPG. <laughs> Oh, certainly, yeah. Um, okay. Quite ironic that it was released in the summer over here. But... Yeah, it's I. <laughs> right, I get it. And well, I guess if you're talking about RPGs, winter RPGs, one that sort of uh, like almost is required to be said is the Elder Scrolls for Skyrim. I'm sorry, Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim. Wow, I can't Roman numerals today. I mean, I I understand being um, I understand being confused by um, Elder Scrolls type games, but and. Well, yeah, Skyrim is the Elder Scrolls game I've played the most. I messed around a little bit in Morrowind a decade ago, but uh, and but I did finish the main story of Skyrim and uh, a couple of the major, smaller branches of the story. And it's sort of good for what it is, and you can lose yourself in that world for large amounts of time very easily. But at the end, I ended up sort of finishing the main story just to finish it. I wasn't as drawn into it as a lot of Skyrim's superfans are, and Skyrim does have its superfans. But the mythology of Elder Scrolls is cool. The amount of freedom that you have is cool. Killing a dragon really doesn't get old until you get to your 30th or 40th dragon, which is, <laughs> which, which is you know, that's that's a pretty good level of of, uh, of fatigue. Like, after 30 or 40, getting tired of it, I get it. But um, it, Skyrim itself, the world is, uh, you know, northern hemisphere. A lot, a lot of icy mountains, icy fields. It, uh, it, it has a sort of a Norse mythology uh, vibe to it, and it's the hometown for Skyrim's Nords, which are, you know, tall, blonde, Scandinavian types. <laughs> and it, I think it wears that aesthetic well, and is a good game on its own, even though it's not. I, I haven't put hundreds of hours into Skyrim. I put in fifty and was done. 
But it's uh, I think yeah, same if you, here. I think if you mention winter RPGs, Skyrim has to enter the conversation at least a little bit. It's it's wintry world is the you know Skyrim itself is a beautifully rendered uh, locale oh, yeah. and one that's just um, wonderful to just you know as you said lose yourself in and just you know wander in wander into the wilderness in just a random direction and see what you come across. Yeah, and it's really awesome when you wander into the wilderness and find a temple full of undead and get out of there barely alive and <laughs> accidentally trip over a giant's uh, goat and then have a bunch of giants chasing after you and then you run into a dragon and the dragon is somehow much weaker than those giants. <laughs> but it's uh, th- there's a lot of ephemeral gameplay and uh, – oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh Gameplay that arises, emergent? yeah, that's it, emergent. Um, uh, emergent gameplay that that's that uh, arises outside of specific goals or boundaries. That um, and, and it, like open worlds like Skyrim and maybe especially Skyrim since it's so popular are just absolute hotbeds of emergent gameplay stories, and that's awesome. But it's not something I I needed in my life or was totally absorbed in uh, when I played. I didn't play it right when it came out. It, it was probably a year or two later. But I had a lot of fun. I had I shot a lot of magic arrows. <laughs> did a lot of stealthy stuff, and uh, you know the uh, the Dark Brotherhood story is is real cool, which is the one that probably gets mentioned thrown around the most. I would say, right? right? Yeah, um, that I think the the Dark Brotherhood story in Skyrim is particularly notable because you um, carry out some assassinations that sort of affect the politics of the world in a major way, but. It's, you know, it's this little uh, optional side quest rather than being uh, a big set piece, you know? I yeah, think and, that's a really interesting approach. And, and other than the quest where you are literally fighting for the independence of Skyrim or uh, or fighting to quell the independence movement of Skyrim, other than that one, it's the most political side quest in the game and, mm. and, got, and got me much more uh, connected to what is happening in the larger story of Skyrim than, uh, than the other quests that are, you know, about... Uh, about those Daedric um, uh, beings and stuff, because it, like, doing that Dark Brotherhood quest sort of got me noticing that, oh, these games aren't back-to-back-to-back, they happen decades apart from each other, and there's new dynasties and dominant races in the the Elder Scrolls world that are taking place, and in, in Dark Brotherhood, just like you mentioned, you carry out assassinations that could possibly shape the next stage of what Elder Scrolls is. Hmm. And that that's really neat. Like I, because I, it's the only Elder Scrolls game I've played for more than eight hours, because I didn't oh. play that much more when back in the day. But it it connected me to um, the Elder Scrolls world uh, in a way that it surprised me a little bit. But it's it's still not necessarily my jam. I mean, I there's other open world RPGs I would prefer to play than another Elder Scrolls game. But I can't deny how impressive Skyrim is, or that it's a really good winter RPG. Oh, definitely so. Yeah, I, I, I don't really have anything to contribute to that part of the conversation. <laughs> I have negative interest in Skyrim. Right on. We do. You know, I, I, mean, I think we I do. Think uh, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, as you know, I, you're free to disagree with me, uh, fellow hosts and listeners alike. Um, as impressive as Bethesda RPGs are at first blush, um, the seams kind of show very quickly, and they. To me, anyway, they after you spend enough hours in uh, in them, they kind of start to feel like very, um, very lonely and hollow experiences. Um, and that's not to say that I don't like them. It's just um, 
you know, they have a, <laughs> hundreds of hundreds of characters with about six voice actors, um, usually pulling from uh, a limited amount of uh, scripts. And um, yeah, it just it makes me feel a little bit lonely after after 30 hours or so. So um, I'm not sure if I, you know, I'm not sure if I'm down with playing another one of those anytime soon, but they are really great technical achievements and they are absolutely beautiful. No doubt about that. No, I basically agree. There is a lot of loneliness in Skyrim. Like when you're when you're traveling across, say, eighty percent of the mm. landscape, there is no one there but you and maybe some bandits. For some reason, there's just a never-ending supply of bandits and towers in Skyrim. Mm. I, 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 the the bandit cool population the bandit population is far greater than the population of any city, <laughs> mm. which is interesting. But it's uh. It, it, they are lonely games. It is sort of you alone in a desolate, icy world a lot of the time, and uh, the, and even though the best story moments are when you're are when you're sort of interacting with the lore, I, at least to me personally, there's I, mm. I almost wish there was more of those and more boundaries because I I like it when I can be carried a little bit by a game's plot and I can enjoy the plot and set pieces instead of having so little direction. I mean, the reason I don't play a ton of world, open world games is because I like a little story direction, or at least more yeah. than what Skyrim yeah. offers. Structure is nice. So, let's see. I, I, I can't think of any better examples of winter RPGs than Skyrim and Setsuna. So, um, I, I like to throw Parasite Eve out there. Because oh, right, yeah. Uh-huh. We, did, we, did, we did a podcast on that a while back. but um, Almost exactly I mean, a year ago. Yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. it's the diehard of video games. It's it's a it's a game that takes place on Christmas and that makes it a holiday piece, even though it has nothing to do with the holidays. Um, but the Parasite Eve's whole world <laughs> is a uh, New York in the middle of winter. Yeah, no, that's it's that's the absolute truth, and um, I, I guess you really get more of a feel of the winter in cutscenes because most of the action in Parasite Eve takes place indoors. Yeah, the only environment I can really think of that took advantage of it was Central Park. uh, Yeah, Central Park Zoo and uh, a couple um, isolated segments. But now I remember the opening video of Parasite Eve vividly because it it may have frightened me a little bit when I was 14 or 15. (laughs) But... Freaky scene. Yeah, but at least for part of it, it shows sort of a nice snowy uh, skyline of New York City. That's true. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, so yeah, that, that that that's always one. And I, it's such a short short game, but I feel like it's actually kind of worth playing around the holidays. Like, yeah, I mean, the, um, around the holiday time, I I I mean, I'm this is maybe an obvious thing to say, but a lot of people enjoy you know, watching December or holiday-themed uh, television or film or books or games. And there there aren't a ton of those in video games that are just sort of holiday... that are just holiday games straight up. But um, for RPGs, Parasite Eve definitely counts. Hmm. But, I mean, typically more in RPGs, you're used to seeing a variety of locales, and maybe one of them is snow or ice or winter-themed. So do you... Uh, I guess Robert, do you ha- do you does any one of those stick out as a particular favorite of yours? Oh gosh, uh, I had to uh, I had to assemble a, uh, a a little list here because uh, uh, I, I did just too. about every time every time you see a every time I see a snowy area in an RPG, um, it just inspires this uh, 
um, it, it inspires this affection from me. Um, but uh, some of my favorites, um, I'll go with a um, I'll go with a more uh, well known. Um, I'll go with a, a more well known example before I dive into the depths of obscurity here, uh, and that would be um, the Viceland area of Saga Frontier Two, which is um, already an extremely gorgeous um, hand painted and watercolor uh, game. Uh, and uh, Viceland, it's this like this what, kind of Antarctica. What system? What system was Saga Frontier? I the Saga games. Oh, that games... was PS One. Okay, the Saga games all blend together for me. I know very little about them mm-hmm. after the Game Boy era. <laughs> This one was notable for, um, yeah, it, it had these, it had these hand painted, watercolored backgrounds that you would walk around on. And um, I, I remember somebody was in high school with saying, "It looks like Winnie the Pooh. It sucks," um, but uh, I, uh, I feel exactly the opposite. I think it looks great. Uh, if it looks like Winnie the Pooh, that's fine with me. Um, this is Saga Frontier Two, right? Not that's right. Um, yeah, the first game is this weird hodgepodge. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Saga Frontier 2 I've always wanted to play because it looks gorgeous and that soundtrack is um, it's really, really good. Yeah, Hamazu's first one, first big one for Square, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he's he's doing fantastic things right now for Square Square Enix, mm. I should say. Because uh, he's, he's involved with the Final Fantasy XIV soundtrack, which is dope. <laughs> yeah, it's real good. He, I think he did all most of thirteen as well of that trilogy. Yeah. Aside he... from some of the remixes. Yeah, he worked on all three thirteen trilogy games. I think he did World of Final Fantasy recently. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I, I proofreaded uh, Samer's review. I noticed that <laughs> was him. Hamazu one. I got twisted around. He is the he's the thirteen guy, not the fourteen guy. Um, I'm I'm mixing I'm mixing them up. But it but he is real good. And these images that I did a brief a quick Google image search on for Saga Frontier two look great. It's 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 almost the the sprites kind of look like Final Fantasy Tactics, but the backgrounds do look like, uh, you know you know like like storybook watercolors that are that yeah. are really pretty. And um, I guess the PS One era was really a golden era of pre-rendered backgrounds because they're yeah, totally. because they don't really do those because they're more labor intensive and don't really fit in as easily to uh, what a modern AAA RPG has for backgrounds. But I kind of missed that a little bit. Like when I played Bravely Second earlier this year, there was a. Uh, I, I love the city backdrops in that game because you, even though it changes perspective and is sometimes a little weird to navigate around, they all look gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And cranking it back a little bit, uh, one winter area I really like in a in a recent RPG is Bravely Default when you visit Eternia for the first time. It's a. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, it's it's a really it, it's. It's it's a pretty normal snow town, but it uh it has uh it has really pretty town music, and also the part of the uh, the theme of Eternia is that uh peop- there, it has incredibly high technology, especially medical medical technology, where people can preserve themselves and almost and almost live forever. So that. You know, touches yeah that t- ties into a, almost a cryogenic theme of you know ice preserving uh, and unchanging in a way, mm-hmm. which I thought which I thought was neat to attach to a winter town, even though it's even though you aren't in Eternia for terribly long in default or I'm mean, sorry in bravely default or bravely second, but I like that town music, and uh, mm. I, yeah I, mean, I just wish you'd spent more time there. Yeah, it's uh, it's a brief time at the end of Bravely Default and at the beginning of Bravely Second before you start repeating things. 
So, Peter, what, do you have a uh, do you have a favorite or a, a memorable snow or ice area in an yeah. RPG? Oh, Dad! Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, uh, one that definitely sticks out in my mind um, is the Snow Peak area uh, from Twilight Princess: uh, The Legend of Zelda. Um, mm-hmm. Both um, the dungeon itself, Snow Peak Ruins, is probably one of the most interesting 3D Zelda dungeons. Um, I- how it's kind of like an ancient mansion. I agree uh, with that. Both in how it looks as an ancient mansion and how they frame it as like a side quest to make a stew. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Really I'm sorry. A, a, a fetch, a fetch quest, not a side quest. I should have mentioned. No, but it's true, and it, it, that's really it, that's always really that's always it's that's really entertaining, and it leads to um it, how they kind of play around with the dungeon design. Like you're looking for this how it's how it's segmented into. You're looking for a certain key item the entire the entire time, which provides the main like thorough um the quest line of that dungeon but each each segment of the dungeon ends up kind of funneling you towards a new ingredient for um yeto's uh, soup and <laughs> the result is just really entertaining and the whole thing is fun and you get to, and but the area the, i really like the area not just because you get to snowboard against a yeti um <laughs> um the, the music in particular i used to um play the snow peak ruins music on repeat to help myself go to sleep um, that 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 track is really pretty, um, and the whole area just kind of has this. I don't know, like uh, Twilight Princess in general. I think has a really good sense of melancholy, and um, Snow Peak for some reason uh, that always struck out to me is just yeah, this place is just kind of like sad and windswept, and the music's gorgeous, and I shouldn't I shouldn't climb down this cliff because there are wolves that are gonna bite my face off, and. Yeah, that's probably, in terms of snow levels, I think that one probably has had the most impact on me. I don't know if I want to say exactly how it works out, uh, but in the Snow Peak Ruins dungeon, the way that you get your uh, your heart container at the end of the dungeon yeah. <laughs> is, is maybe the most entertaining and unique method of getting a heart container in Zelda history. It's, it's great. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty fun. Have you, have you played Twilight Princess, Robert? Uh, I have. I played it on GameCube. Okay. Uh, and I, I, no I, I that's that's how I played it as well. Of that. I, I never got as far as Snow Peak, so um, I have been thinking about picking up that Wii U copy, um, and I think I, I might have to do that before too long. Yeah, I think we yeah, have. Think that I, version. Yeah, um, Snow Peak is in the second half of the game. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what. I gave up at the Water Temple, it's, like it's people the do. The, the yeah, I think the Water Temple was third, and this one's fifth or sixth. You said fifth, okay. Peter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah right after the sand one. Right. I think Twilight Princess's greatest strength is its dungeons. I think it's almost all of them are unique and interesting. And Snow Peak mm. Ruins is maybe um, the most, if or one of the most memorable of them. And I, I I generally enjoyed Twilight Twilight Princess as I played it, but it's not a particular it's not a favorite Zelda of mine. But um, Snow Peak Ruins is great, and I love the those crazy Yetis and in their mansion. Yeah, it's <sighs> a fun area. But you know, um, one other series that typically has a lot of that will have a snowy area in every single one of its games is the Tales of series, which yeah uh, we haven't we haven't talked about much on Retro Encounter yet. We may do a Tales episode sometime in the distant future, but I don't know when that'll be. But I'm I'm in particular I'm thinking of uh, Tales of Fantasia and Tales of Symphonia because Symphonia came out. I don't know, eight or nine years after Fantasia, and is a thousand-year prequel to Fantasia. 
but mm. both but both games have really memorable scenes in snow villages right in the last era of the game because in the uh, in the town of Arley in Fantasia you get uh, is right before you challenge uh, the the castle of the final villain and you see you know character arcs play out and character motivations come to light and it's just a lot of really good drama that that's sweet and positive drama and not dark weird drama mm-hmm. take place and in Flenoir in Sales of Symphonia at roughly the same point of the game in Fantasia you have a similar scene take out uh, take place but it's between Lloyd and the character he has the highest relationship uh, status with who did you get your first time through? I got Sheena the first time through. Mm. But I, I think Genus. <laughs> I think I think it's really easy to fall into a Colette hole and have her and have her just sort of be default into that spot. Okay. And uh and and there's one I I don't know if I should spoil it or not, but there, there's one character where uh who will leave your party permanently if that character is not the number one spot at that point in the game. Or Big Daddy. A, a little earlier in the game, yeah that that one but it's so like uh, and i know that uh at least fans are all will all you know fans that have played it multiple times will all try to get specific flanoir scenes but I, i've only played tales of symphonia once and i i got sheena yeah same i've only played it once as well i don't know how i, I ended up with genus yeah i've never played it i've i've seen um i've seen the the anime clip of the the snowy village and it always looks looks pretty neat but yeah, my my experience with with Tales is kind of lacking. I played Exilia and hated it, so I'm not sure that really gives oh. me credit. I, I Symphony is way different. Yeah, I, I I stopped playing them right before Zillia. I've played a uh, five or like six or seven of the older ones, but I think the most recent one I finished was Vesperia. And mm. uh, in a way, they're paint by numbers RPGs because they're they. Like check every box of JRPG tropes with your teenage protagonists, and your everyone has a different hair color. Everyone fits a different role. They have silly made-up words for magic systems in each game. You go. Th- it's sometimes it gets a little dungeon town, dungeon town, dungeon towny. Uh, what was it Hideo Baba said? The the super the supervisor of the series that they're like gumdrops. They are, they all have different <laughs> flavors, but they're mostly the same. Yeah. Imagine saying that about something that you're like the head producer of. yeah and and for a, and for a while um the timing worked out for in the 2010s it seemed like that we were getting a new tales game every year and we were for about yeah, four and, years yeah and, you could, and we were maybe feeling the series fatigue on a little bit but i'm not going to deny it like i think symphonia is an okay tales game not not uh not one of the best or one of the worst but it's, it's a lot of people's first tales of game because it was very successful on the gamecube and uh, in part, and I think part of that might be because you know the GameCube had four controller ports and a lot of popular multiplayer games. That... I was going to say because the GameCube had like no other RPGs. Yeah, um, it had Kite Bet and Kaidos and Skies of Arcadia Legends and Paper... maybe Pokemon Coliseum if you're Mario. being generous. Paper Paper Mario Thousand Year Door yeah. is awesome. I forget Paper Mario, mm-hmm. but it's uh, but yeah, like it was very popular on the GameCube, and I think it was a lot of people's first introduction to Tales. But I mean, it's one of the better Tales games, personally. I I don't know. I would put I would put Fantasia, Eternia, Vesperia, and Abyss ahead of it immediately. But and sure. pro- probably more if I thought harder. I mean, it was the very first of those fully three D ones. So I don't yes, know. I I, yes, I think it was. It day. was because was it after Rebirth or before Rebirth? But birth. It was before. But was yeah, the... and, and also Rebirth wasn't full three D either. Yeah. That's that's correct. That was mm-hmm. a Team Destiny one. Yeah. 
And plus, oh, I mean, but gameplay-wise, I think Symphonia is uh, is manageable. It may, maybe it gets a little better in the remakes, but I haven't played those. But I I find it a little hard to go back to that GameCube version because I really want a free run for my tales nowadays, and and that <laughs> yeah. and that wasn't introduced until Abyss. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least for the 3D ones. But um, but no, Symphonia is pretty good, and I think that like if you compare the Arlie scene in Fantasia with the Flanoir scene in Symphonia, and since those games are direct sequels to one another, it hmm. it's it's an interesting comparison. Definitely so. Well, if we're on the topic of Tales, um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to mention uh, my personal favorite uh, Tales game, uh, which. Uh, doesn't hold up too well today due to no, uh, clunkiness no. of the PS1. That's, um, <laughs> that's Tales of Destiny, which uh, begins in a um, really lovely little snowfield. Um, uh, this sort of border between uh, two warring nations. So you, you know, so you traipse through this snowy forest, and then you end up in this uh, little um, military border town. Uh, I think it's called Janus, uh, where you know, it's, it's like a little bit like a snowy cypress where like everything's cordoned off and you need passes to go through to get out each exit of the town. But it's got this really lovely music and there's kids making a snowman. And it's just like it's got this kind of warmth about the town, even though like these people are just like kind of getting on with their stuff, even though they're being occupied. Um, and I always thought that was just like a really nice opening moment for that game. Yeah, Tales of Destiny is interesting. It's the uh, maybe a recent one past it, but for a long time, it was the most popular uh, Tales of game. It had the highest sales in uh, Japanese Tales for at least the first ten years of the series. Ladies and I, love Leon. Yeah, no, Leon and Leon always is into the top three or four of character pools. But weirdly, I it, I don't like it that much. But but it, a lot of it is because of that clunkiness. It uh, mm. it feels slower than Fantasia, which was a Super Famicom game that came before it. And, yeah. defi- and definitely slower than Eternia, which sped up combat quite a bit, and it was you know the first Tales game that really let you do mad air combos. But uh, it, it's almost like it's like one of the worst playing Tales games, but has one of the best stories and uh, some of the and a really really good cast. So I understand when people like it. It's just I found it difficult to play purely for gameplay combat reasons. Yeah, I mean the combat and the load times between battles are really what hold that game back. But I mean, why I liked it is because it tried all these sort of like weird Namco referential things that I really appreciated. Like at one point, you play um, it's basically Galaga, but with boats. Uh, and the bonus dungeon of that game is the Tower of Druaga. Um, yeah, the, 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 a lot of the, laid out the same way. A lot of the Tales games do that. I think there's there's Klonoa yeah. costumes you can get in uh, Tales yeah. of the Abyss and Vesperia in Abyss Tales. Abyss lets of, you play Dragon Buster as well. In Tales of Fantasia, the very first one, you collect drag drag uh, Tower of Juraga armor and uh, and um oh shoot, what was that Valkyrie game that they made? Legend uh, of Valkyrie. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. There's also there's also Legend of Valkyrie armor and weapon sets. So. Uh, like the Tales games are always wear their Namco badge very proudly, and it's, sure. it, it it is cool when you get to when you get to you know see different cameos and things like that. In in later and ta- Tales games famously let you dress up as previous Tales characters. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I know I got the uh. When I didn't get very far in Zillia, but uh. You do get um. Stan and Cress costumes. Stan's the main character of Destiny. Cress is the main character of Fantasia. And when you equip them to one of the main characters, it changes the battle music to that game. Yeah, that was fun. So That's there's kind a, of a neat touch. Yeah, the, um. Tales games have a lot of neat touches like that. And if you're, you know, it, the deeper you are in the fandom, the more you enjoy the the newer ones, and that's that's terrific. But again, uh, 
Destiny, not one of my favorite ones. I'm really upset we never got the PS2 Destiny remake, which looks awesome. That looks really good. That would or the it, Destiny sequel. Right, yeah. Well, um, yeah, Destiny 2 with, uh, with Stan and Rudy's kid is the main character, right? Yeah, yeah. Kyle, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. That looks good. That, that one's... I remember I saw a video of that one. That one has a really strange uh, MP magic system that didn't really make sense to me. It's, it's kind of like what Tales of Graces did, except if you just coded it in 2001 PS2 uh, yeah. technology. I think it's quite similar to Rebirth, if I'm remembering correctly. Kind of like <laughs> Rebirth, but running on Eternia's engine. <laughs> it was... It's like a half step between those two games. Of Rebirth, another one I totally don't get what's going on when I watch videos of it, but I haven't played it. <laughs> I think I really, that one's pretty snowy as well, but I, I haven't spent enough time. All, all I really know about Rebirth, and this is a dumb thing to comment on, is that the main character's name is Vague, and the character and his uh, girlfriend that he's always trying to rescue is named Claire, and so the, it's you know a play on words of vague and clear, and they shout each other's <laughs> name at each other a lot. Oh man! So, so yeah, you, you can. There, there's some unintentional comedy there, but uh, <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> played Destiny Two or Rebirth. So yeah, another snowy I've thing. <laughs> I've got one, one, one that I really like, and I cannot remember the name of this place for the life of me. Um, um maybe we can but, help. Okay, so it was so in in Chrono Trigger there was a deleted area that um there was and there's this track of it on the soundtrack that's like singing hill or something like it's, that. It's it's singing mountain and it is singing a uh, and it was uh I think it was supposed to be a snowy mountainous area in yeah. in the prehistoric time i think yeah and 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 what had yeah. up happening was that they added it they they made it and added it to the ds version so it yes. actually is playable in that version of the game oh i didn't know version, anything about this which yeah, was they, the first version of the game i played and it's awesome like that that music is great they, they had it's to read like, they had to redesign it a little bit but uh it they basically made a new singing mountain area in the area where in the place in the map where it was supposed to be 10 years earlier for the uh on the on the super nintendo but yeah, it, which is it, great it, this is awesome. Like I, I really, I love those kinds of like little, um, in development stories you get about games. Just learning about cut content and stuff like that. And the fact mm. that the the DS version of Trigger, a, it goes to to some length to um, connect Trigger to Chrono Cross in a really interesting way. But um, it also um, uh, includes the Singing Mountain area. And yeah, that that was that was that was a nice little thing to find on my uh, my my New Game Plus run. One of my many new game plus runs. Yeah, well, I mean, Chrono Trigger is my favorite game of all time. I could talk about that game mm. forever. But it is, uh, it is, is a phenomenal one. And I love it. I need to get that DS remake. It's pretty more, good. It, um, it. And it lets you um, switch between uh, the PS1 cutscenes or the Super Nintendo cutscenes for how they're presented. Because the, uh, the PS1 had, uh, had anime cutscenes for certain um, parts of the game. Which yeah. are so, which are sometimes good, sometimes not as good. It has better load times than the PS1 version. Like that's hard, but uh, a lot of, a lot of the extras, both the post game stuff and the um, singing mountain stuff, is pretty cool. It, um, yeah, that post game dungeon. That's it doesn't look too appealing to me. Like no, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a Toze port, and they put the same post game dungeon in all of their ports, where like oh. you walk down a hill and then you're in a library and like i've seen it so many times before <laughs> yeah it's kind of the final fantasy 5 thing where you just keep recycling settings that you've already been in throughout the game yeah, yeah. Uh, i think they i think they might have even done that in their port of final fantasy 5 i think they added a post-game dungeon that was exactly they, like they that did, yeah with um yeah. yeah yeah 
God, and trying to explain the differences between NUO and X-Death and, <laughs> and, and, the, and Thousand Years Ago and World Between the Void gets a little, gets a little confusing. I've, I've been on... Void. Uh, I did forum clarification arguments about that <laughs> 15, <laughs> 20 years ago. Because you're that big of a nerd and we yep. Yeah, but you know what? yeah. It's, it's optional. I shouldn't be complaining about an optional bonus dungeon. No, so, but, um, but good no, on the, you, Tose. It's nice that you've offered it. Yeah, the, in the DS version of Chrono Trigger is good. The translation's good. Um, there's a lot. Of, it's hmm. full featured. Uh, and and uh, the the new side quest and the ending stuff isn't. It's it's not offensive, but it's. Uh, I, I don't think it's as good as the main game stuff. And uh, the that um, singing mountain quest takes a long time, and it's uh, so I. There's a lot of going back between two specific time periods, and uh, it can get a little confusing as to what the next thing to do is. But it's it's a good game, a good side quest, and uh, the other wintry part of Chrono Trigger that is memorable to me is the is Death Mountain. Oh where, yeah, yes. sure, I forgot about yeah yeah. Which that, is spoilers. Yeah okay. Um, well, there's a spoilers for a 20 year old game, but there's a lot of very sad emotional drama happens on Death Mountain, and it's mostly a pretty desolate, harsh. Uh, harsh feeling dungeon that it's a very it, solemn sequence yeah oh yeah it is oh that having to climb up the mountain with the uh the wind intimate mm-hmm. time yeah. with the wind yeah that part sucked but with no it, music playing <laughs> just wind it, it's atmospheric like it the, you know it doesn't want you there and the stakes are so high at that mm-hmm. point that that is some 16-bit wind that's chilling <laughs> yeah but you can you can see that wind layer moving ahead of your of your above your character's sprites and then and when it changes movement rapidly, it gets ah, whatever that old sixteen bit graphics make me feel nostalgic. Uh, but yeah, nothing lo- wrong with that. It, <laughs> it was impressive. And Chrono Trigger still looks good today. Like, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I it's, think... a, it's aged super well. And you know, <laughs> this, is, like, this is a weird tangent. Sticking to sixteen bit Square games, um, Secret of Mana has a pretty cool uh, winter sequence in it where um, you have to rescue Santa Claus from his from himself. <laughs> because uh, okay, I'm, existential crisis. All right, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I, I may crawl beneath <laughs> my skin. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, I hope I'm not messing up how the story goes. But um, Sant- Santa is you know the ruler of the of a wintry part of Secret of Mana. He captures a fire spirit and sticks him in an oven so that there can be a habitable, warm, warm oasis in the middle of his winter wonderland. And so. Uh, you when you you go and rescue the fire spirit early on in the quest down there, and then um, everyone that's sitting there in the oasis says that um, that uh, the the king is has been uh, has been captured by a monster, and you so you go and you fight this big ice ogre, but it turns out it was Santa who had been. I, I it's unclear to me if he was eaten by the ice ogre or if he had turned into the ice ogre. <laughs> I think he turned into him. Okay, yeah, I, th- I thought I thought some, he did. There's some text about him like coming back to his senses. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought like his hubris and greed and capturing the fire spirit turned him into the ogre was my thought, but I wasn't 100 yeah, percent sure about that. Yeah, something like that. And and also that that ogre is a pain in the rear if you don't level up fire magic because he is immune. Like everything does one damage to him except from mm. the spells from that fire spirit. But uh, yeah, Secret of Man is a real good game, and you save Santa Claus from his own greed from it which is pretty terrific that's fabulous and timely <laughs> and all right one other, one other quick weird santa claus in an rpg story is in the second death spank game thongs of virtue which is a real sentence that came out of my mouth oh, uh, man. there's a 
you, you realize that there's these there's like six thongs that are like the ultimate power in the universe, and Go uh, on. and and Deathspank's thong allows him to come back to life every time he dies. Go on. And um, one of the thong at the very end of Death Deathspank one, you realize that the the evil boss of the game has a thong similar to Deathspank's, and that and in the second one, you have to find the other four thong holders, and one of them is. Uh, Yes, and one of them is Santa Claus, who has the thong of generosity. But <laughs> yes, and uh, and you end up and there's a whole Christmas area of the game where you have to defeat Santa, uh, a very greedy, power-hungry version of Santa Claus, and steal his thong. And uh, sounds like one of those like dirty Christmas albums, <laughs> stealing Santa's thong. Or like, or like the uh, uh, the Twisted Sister Santa album, where every song is basically the same sis- Twisted Sister song. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can listen to that whole album, and it is like, did they, did they not change the drums the entire the entire album? Uh, I, I I don't have a lot of affection for those Twisted Sister Christmas carols, but uh, yeah, um, Death Spank, really weird, dumb, puerile, but funny, uh, sort of Diablo loot clone kind of games. But there's two of them, and in one of them, you steal Santa Claus's thong. Excellent. You can argue with that. <laughs> Great. I bet you were not. Radical. I bet you were not expecting me to talk about Santa Claus's thong of generosity on this podcast. I can't no. say that I was. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> I didn't put that in the show notes. I feel enlightened, though. Yeah, the, and they made a third Death Spank game called The Baconing, but I had ne- I haven't played that one. I only mm. played the first two. What wonders does The Baconing hold? You know, I I think I did get it on sale a while ago, and I am morbidly curious, but I I don't know if I want to go back and play a Death Spank game in 2016, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any other particular favorites? No, I, or maybe is there like an ice character or ice spells that you like a lot in a game? I like I like Blizzard Magic in Final Fantasy 15. Cool. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, Chuck, how you kind of chuck an ice grenade and all of a sudden the entire area just freezes over it it changes how some enemies uh look too they kind of get like all frosty and stuff that's always kind of fun mm-hmm. you know it seems that most ice magic in games either slows or freezes the enemy but but I, I wonder if there's a uh i wonder if there would be a status effect for new ice magic in 2017 just just to shake things up Maybe ice spells set the enemy on fire. Well, in fifteen you can freezer um, burn. Yep. When you're when you're crafting spells in fifteen, you can put any item into it as a catalyst to create duplicate spells. Oh, so you so you can so you can make like effects. poison poison ice or something. Yeah. So there's so the so yeah you can if you put in like a bunch of antidotes into your um into a uh you put stuff to cure poison into it it actually turns the spell into a veno cast so it'll cast the spell and inflict poison. You right can, on. Uh, you can uh, pet Petra cast, curse cast. I liked putting a stop cast into my ice spells because then it actually did actually freeze enemies in place. Like, <laughs> yeah, 15's magic system is a lot of fun. <laughs> you, you know, um, in Final Fantasy XIV, the interpretation of ice magic is a little weird because uh, black mages in that game learn fire, ice, and lightning. But okay. uh, when you cast when you cast f- uh, multiple fire spells in a row, um, the the MP cost of your spells increases sharply, but they deal more damage. But then when you switch to ice spells, the MP cost shrinks and it boosts your uh, boosts your MP regeneration a lot. So the okay. so the loop of that is fire, fire, fire. Oh, cast one or two ice spells to get my MP up again. Then more fire and lightning That's spells. Lightning spells are damage over times like poison. So like oh. throw throw on a lightning at the beginning of the match, then do that fire ice uh, seesaw. 
Mm. It's it's a neat interpretation, but it's the only one I know of where ice is sort of like the MP regenerating spell. That is really interesting. Hmm. Oh, and I'm going to take the podcast in another weird direction. How how much do you guys know about browser-based flash RPGs? Mm. <laughs> Where's your cricket sound effect? <laughs> There, there we, we go. go. <laughs> that. Yeah, all right. Well, um in college there's these uh there's a a, a short series of flash RPGs called Sunny, and that's S O N N Y, about a, a man who wakes up as a zombie and is suddenly being chased by anti-zombie uh military, and that's basically the how the story begins. Anti-zombie but in, activists. Yeah, exactly. But in in Sunny 2, um, you get to pick your zombie class at the beginning of the game, and one of them is uh, is a hydraulic zombie, where you either get super fast metabolism that keeps your blood flowing highly and you deal a lot of physical damage, and the other one is where your blood stays frozen. So you become an, a frozen ice zombie who uh, inflicts status effects with ice spells and then does a shatter attack that removes all of an enemy's uh, status effects but deals more damage based on how many you remove. So it's a, a, another cool variation of a caster, except it's an ice zombie that shatters ice spells. And um, and those um, Sunny One and Two are getting mobile versions soon, but they uh, are a pair of really really fun browser RPGs. Okay. Maybe worth checking out. They've probably aged poorly. I haven't played them in, a, in at least a few years. But if you go to Newgrounds or Armor Games, you can find them. Yeah, sounds okay. Uh, I guess I've got one last one. Oh, hit um, me! Hit me! And it's you know it's not a character or or spell. It's just another locale like we've been talking about, and that is uh, the uh, the Telenet game Exile, uh, which is uh, which is set in our world uh, during the time of Crusades. Um, mm-hmm. Your adventure takes you to uh, Mount Koya in uh, Wakayama Prefecture at one point, uh, which is the home of Shingon Buddhism. And um, you explore the grounds as this sort of, you know, like an RPG town from a top-down perspective, and everything's uh, covered in snow. uh, And, you know, you get these little footprints uh, behind you, and uh, same with these um, Buddhist monks who are walking around. um, And it's got this sick kind of hip-hop beat. (laughs) Um, And uh, the dungeons in this game they take place from a um side-scrolling perspective and so you open you enter um kongabuji temple at the at the center of the grounds and you see this kind of like gentle snowfall through the windows um and you know it's light inside and it's slightly darker and more overcast outside and it's it's just a really nice effect in this use of um colors and contrast that um i find probably one of my favorite segments in that game um, but the real Mount Koya is, um, is a world heritage site and it looks really gorgeous. I'd really like to see it in person one day. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but I, I didn't know about it until I played this game as a kid. You know, speaking of, speaking of locations in Japan, I mean, the, the Persona series has wintry moments in several, in several of them. In, mm. in Persona 2, it's, it's unclear what time of year it's taking place in. But the, when you go up, the, but in Innocent Sin, when you're going up the mountain before, uh, uh, b- before the fifth character leaves your party, yeah. um, th- that's definitely a snowy segment. But the uh, the Grand Cross astrological event in which that game takes place happened in August, so it's unclear if that game takes place in August or December. But <laughs> there's there's definitely snow in it, and both in Persona Three and Four, there are. Uh, Parts of the game where you know you're surrounded by snow all around, and it gets quite wintry. 
but mm. but in Persona Four, the you know the December stuff in that game is is evil beige snow of nihilism. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but then uh, but then after you beat the defend December boss in the Vita version of the game, you play a late winter uh, January February segment that is really beautiful and snowy, and uh, and the song that plays in town during that is uh. Uh oh shoot, what's it called? It's a it's a really terrific track. Uh I I, I don't we'll remember. Pop it in the show notes. Yeah, we maybe I maybe I will. But it's um the like that section of Persona Four is mostly clean up because it basically gives you an extra mu- month and a half to do any uh to do new content and clean up any social links you missed. But it, it's right. it, it makes the game it gives the game a little bit of extra legs and it's a and you get to go to a uh, to a ski lodge for uh, for a vacation, which is fun. It's it's sort of amusing. Like, uh, just just make sure you you don't pizza when you're meant to French fries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Naoto doesn't know how to ski, so she has to learn the pizza French yeah, fries business. And uh, Yukiko is an extremely skilled snowboarder, but doesn't know how to stop. <laughs> it's it's a little. <laughs> It gets into some anime comedy during the uh, winter segments of Persona 4 Golden, but it, it's good. I, I yeah. love that game to death, even in spite of its flaws. It's a good one. Mm. And and I would I would like to see, get some, some clarification from Atlas on when the hell in 1999 Persona 2 is supposed to take place. Cause it, uh, <laughs> is it meant to take place in 1999 or is it a couple of years? I I, in the I'm pretty, I know it's around the time of the millennium. I'm but. pretty sure it's 1999 because that Grand Cross in Innocent Sin was a real astrological event in 1999. There's okay. a there there's a lot of um a lot of sort of uh, apocalyptic stakes stories um, uh, mm. at least at, at least that I've seen in video games and cartoons that you know had that happen. It's actually a, the subject of one, of a series of Power Rangers. But um, but uh, that that was a real event, astrological event that some people thought may have uh, had you know uh, apocalyptic significance. Obviously, it didn't. But yeah. I, I think that anchors the story to 1999 in Innocent Sin. But okay. that that could be that looking, makes sense. could be looking a little too deeply into it. I don't know because they they didn't say when the first persona was set i think it was just meant to be the the year that the game came out which was 96 and mm-hmm. persona 2 is 3 years ahead of that so th- you're probably right but i i think that fits but also persona 3 and 4 deliberately take place a few years after their release dates yeah because i think um persona now, like 7 years in the past <laughs> yeah <laughs> but and uh I think maybe it's because it was delayed so many times, but I think Persona 5 is supposed to take place in 2015. <laughs> it's going to be a 2017 game. I'd, I'd have to check the uh, the materials, but... Yeah, the Persona games, a lot of them have winter scenes in them. Uh, I look forward to seeing what Persona 5 does, especially, you know, the whole winter in Tokyo thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, didn't, I haven't thought about that. There's got to be some kind of... Uh, some kind of Christmas or Valentine's event in Persona 5, I'm, I'm assuming. I've been trying to avoid story spoilers yeah. as much as I can. I'm, it's I'm one sp- of the things that I really liked about Snatcher. Um, that's a that's you know it's not an RPG, but it's it's within the site's coverage. Um, <laughs> that's a uh, that's a Christmas adventure game, hunting down the evil robots uh, just before Christmas. So, you know the town is all is all decked out, and uh, somebody's dressed as Santa Claus selling tissues, and it plays jingle bells when you're downtown. It's really pleasant. <laughs> is Snatcher Hideo Kojima? What am I thinking? It is. is that yes. Oh right. Okay. Did have the right game. You know, speaking of being decked out in uh, 
you know, in decorated areas. A lot of the MMOs going on right now are going through their uh, winter-themed spe- celebrations. Uh, the it's it's Wintervale in World of Warcraft and the uh, Starlight Festival in Final Fantasy XIV. But the, there's you know people are that all of the major town areas are decorated. There's some kind of optional wintry side quest that uh, that's available in both of those games. Mm. I've been getting and, some snowfall in Necker Atome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's neat when when uh, when games have uh, like little holiday themed content coming to them. Yeah. It's, at least when it's tasteful and fun. Like uh, there's a uh, let's see, Red Dead Redemption, Infamous Two. And Sleeping Dogs all had Halloween DLC that were mm. among the best parts of the game. And uh, like uh, I'm playing FF14 now. I, I, I some t- some enemies are dropping confetti, uh, confetti and decorations that I can throw around in my little house. And uh, and there's a there are there's a pretty cool winter area in FF14 called Corthas or Corthas, which is mm-hmm. where. Um, one of the major town areas is located in, he- in Heavensward. It's just a, a cool ice area in general, but maybe not one of the most cool. Mm. But if you want to talk about Final Fantasy winter areas, I think that the best two are Mount Gagazette in FF in FF10 and uh, Narsh in FF6. Yeah, those... Narsh had a had a big effect on me the first time I saw it. Both of those yeah, are are oh, hugely Narsh... mem- memorable and important places in six and ten. Yeah, Narsh is Narsh especially is really impactful. Um, in you know it open. I mean, it's, obviously it's the game game's opening. It's meant to strike strike um, to strike something in you. Yeah, the um, the scene with the three Magitek armors marching through the snow with Narsh mm. appearing in the distance, and Terra's yeah, theme that, playing. It, it's a classic. It These really, gorgeous little touches, like the steam rising from the vents as you uh, as you walk through the streets. Mm-hmm. God, Square, if you ever re-release six again. Sorry, Peter, I, I talked over you. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just if, if yeah, I, I hope if Square ever re-releases six, please don't ruin it again. That mobile port is an atrocity. Ooh. I'd like to see that GBA port be more widely available. Since I, I would too. I, I had I, an accidental bootleg cart which stopped working. Yeah, I, I don't think this is an unpopular opinion or a, uh, a a new opinion, but if they were to take that GBA port, uh fix its few small technical issues and give it an up-res graphical update similar to the PSP port of FF4. Oh, yeah. That yeah, would be stunning. You would have, like, automatically definitive version of 6. Yeah, exactly. That would be that would be incredible. I would play that on whatever system was available. And it's... But I that, don't know if, yeah. if Square is that interested in doing it because they contracted out those ports of 4, 5, and 6 that appeared on mobile and Steam. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the sprites in them look awful. And the colors look washed out, which is no good. Even though, even though those games are still good, but it's I don't know. It's not quite the beautiful Narsh in the snow that I want. It was um, it was Matrix who did those um, who did those ports, uh, which is really surprising to me because they have such a history of doing. Uh, Borsh, get off the keyboard. Sorry, uh, they have such a uh, history of doing wonderful two D art, like in in Alundra. Um, Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light looks really nice uh, as uh, well. And for yeah. the uninitiated, Borscht is Robert's cat, and he is not eating yeah. Borscht and spilled it on the keyboard. <laughs> C- correct. <laughs> right. But yeah, it was a real shame to see Matrix do such a hatchet job uh, on what could have been um, some very, very nice um, re-releases of some classic Eat RPGs. 
needed some TLC, but it was just kind of a quick buck thing, it seems like. Hmm. Well, Gagazette yeah. is a great area, though. To... Yeah, that, that, yeah Ronso, that. that Ronso rendition of the Hymn of the Faith is an all-timer. But uh, even even when that song's over, the Mount Gagazet music is great too. I'm I'm gonna. There's so much good winter RPG music. I'm gonna have a hell of a time picking the intro and outro of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. At this time, I don't know what's gonna be. But I guess you know, uh, listeners will have at least heard the intro by now. But outro is a secret. <laughs> well, it's a secret because I haven't I haven't come up with it yet. But the uh, Gag Gagazet's a really good winter area. It has a what I think is is maybe the most memorable and interesting of those Seymour boss battles on it. Hmm. Because that, one the, is, that battle has the second <clears throat> best lead up of all the Seymour battles. And it's 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 weird and dark because he implies that he murdered all of the people that just helped helped you on his way to find yeah, you. Yeah, that whole that whole <laughs> thing where he's just like the last Ronso is is pretty chilling. And uh, I mean, then Ten Two comes along. It's like never mind, they find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, okay. everybody's they have, fine. They have a hot spring. <laughs> oh, goody. Cool. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. I, I love a good winter segment in an RPG. It's 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 usually in the second part of the game. And like cuz I I always think of like I don't I don't know, like in both of the paper Mar- in both of the first two Paper Mario games, the winter area is the second to last area. But it, Whenever ice stuff comes up, it's in a way it's a matter of course since it's a very common theme when an air when a game is divided into you know segments and themes. But there's something special about them. They for sure. They're always a change Agreed. of pace. They're always a change of pace. A lot of the time, there's great music and atmosphere. Well, and but every, and, everybody loves a snow day. Oh yeah, it's a great way to shake things up. So, I don't know if I have anything else to add. Are you guys good? I think that covers it, yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Peter and Robert, for joining me on short notice in in late December to record this podcast. Uh, And thank you, listeners, for listening to us for a full hour on uh, today. Um, I should do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, The next episode of Retro Encounter is going to be our year-end episode. It takes place in the middle of a week that is full of year-end RPG fan content. We're going to have editors present their uh, top five RPGs of the year. We're going to have uh, um, both site and fan-voted categories for a, uh, for a variety of year-end awards, including RPG of the Year, and you can probably figure out some of the other ones that'll, that'll appear there. I know there's going to be a year-end episode of uh, Random Encounter as well as Retro Encounter. And uh, I, they're in this music, and they're in the sta- planning stages of music of the year. But that's probably going to not show up until January or February. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at r- retro at rpgfan.com. You can comment on the ret- on the rpgfan.com boards or the rpgfan.com Facebook page. Uh, you can get on iTunes and review this this podcast either on iTunes or on your various listening venues. And uh, we appreciate you every time that we see a new review, because more reviews means more exposure and more access for Retro Encounter. So I guess that's about all I have to say on that. Um, my name is Mike Solosi. I am at the Real Monsoon on Twitter. Peter, how can people find you? I'm Peter Treisenberg, um, and I am at I Have Fury on Twitter, just as I am on the boards. <laughs> and Robert. 
I'm Robert Fenner. Uh, as I said at the beginning of this episode, you can find me on the boards at uh, as Townscar Marty. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MissanthroBob, and uh, I've got a blog at MissanthroPop.com. So uh, right check on. Me out. And you also have a, a podcast that you host on that on that blog, correct? Yeah, I do. I didn't know if I was allowed to mention that. No, that's but, fine. Come yeah. on. Yeah, we. Uh, my friend Alvin and I, um, we host a uh, bi-weekly games podcast called Misanthroplay, where we uh, we're not we're not competitors to uh, the wonderful <laughs> RPG fan podcasts, but um, but uh, by the time you're hearing this, we've got an episode about Neo Geo up. Um, so check that out. Did you mention Garou Mark of the Wolves on that Neo Geo episode? You know it. Okay, good. Otherwise, I would have immediately disavowed it. <laughs> all right well thanks again uh, Peter and Robert thanks again listeners and uh, I hope you all have a safe warm happy winter holiday <laughs>